0: Welcome to The Whole Steward, the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. I'm your host, Andrew Stanton, and I'm glad you've joined. You can't win a game you're not playing, but when it comes to the current economy and the state of our society, we're all in it. There will be winners and losers. Aaron Chapman, one of the top real estate lenders in the country, joins us to help you decide which team you want to be on today on The Whole Steward. Well, this is episode number 38. I'm so thankful you're listening. We have an awesome day today. Aaron Chapman joining us in just a moment. But first, you can't win a game you're not playing. And if you think, well, I want to wait until things get better. I want to wait until it goes back to the way it used to be before you jump in and start playing, you will never win. You can't win that way. This is something that I had to come to grips with when I started investing in 2019, but today is today. I just did an episode on the power of now a couple weeks ago, and now is the time to get involved. Aaron Chapman, is one of the top lenders in the U.S., and he gave us our time today to help us understand how do we win this game? How do we win the subscription economy game that is being hoisted upon us by the global elites? Prices are going up. The big hedge funds and the Black Rocks of the world are buying up real estate left and right. They have a goal of acquiring much more real estate in the near future, that'll leave the little guy out. You need to listen to what is said today. If you've been thinking about investing, now is the time. Buckle down, it's hard work, but it is very rewarding. Aaron Chapman is my personal lender, and he comes on today to help us understand the state of the lending Environment and what is the advantage of borrowing money to buy real estate? Why would you do that? Many people say, Well, Andrew, why don't you just pay cash for the property? Then you'll be guaranteed to be cash flow positive. You won't have any debt. But listen to what is said today the debt is actually an asset. And you say, How could that possibly be? How could a loan actually be an asset to you? So without further ado, let's jump right in and hear from Aaron Chapman. Our next guest is a veteran in the finance industry. With 25 years of experience helping clients better understand, source, and finance cl- cash flow positive investment properties. He advises over 100 clients a month in the acquisition and financing of their investment properties and primary residences. Aaron is ranked in the top 1% of mortgage loan originators in the country in an industry of over 1 million loan originators, closing in excess of 100 transactions per month. Welcome to the show, Aaron Chapman.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it, brother. And thanks for allowing me to address your audience and have some time to kind of, I guess, dig around in their heads a bit.
0: Oh yeah, well, I'm thankful to have you. Uh, It's an honor to get some time with you and I think it'll be very useful. So um, I just have some questions for you that we can jump right in, but first, I'd like to learn just a little bit more. And for those who don't know you, about your background, how did you get involved with real estate and uh, the loan origination industry?
1: So my it goes all the way back high school years. I grew up uh, cattle ranching, basically. You know, we had a uh, we were running beef cattle out there, and it was a really interesting, very simple business plan. Right, you just you have to take certain steps, and you end up growing your product, selling it. We had to deal with Raising our own feed, cutting it, bailing it, all that kind of thing. So there was a process that you always had to follow to be successful in that. If you ever failed in the process in any directions, mixed anything up, you weren't going to get the outcome you were seeking for. So you learn to become disciplined in that kind of thing. And then of course you you're in an environment where where your pop, you know, he he didn't um he made sure it was done and it was done correctly and he leaned on you pretty damn hard. Uh, by the time you stepped out on there, you're a man at the time you stepped on there. It's not uh there was no uh separation at that point so you have to go up grow up quickly in that environment i went on from there graduated halfway through my senior year and went into the oil fields of wyoming started to work in that particular world then heavy equipment driving truck and then i worked in the mines in northern new mexico and they shut down that project halfway through i wouldn't say halfway through but i was in it just for a few months i was uh drilling running uh, heavy equipment underground i was loading uh explosives blasting all that kind of stuff it's one of those really cool things if you get to play with explosives underground several hundred feet it's a unique experience i think everybody should have you um you learned a lot about yourself in the darkness but wow. they had to shut that project down it wasn't creating enough uh or for them to keep it going so i had to come back to arizona from new mexico at a wife and infant son and um Couldn't find a job, man. I worked my ass off trying to find something. I went from place to place to place. And I keep getting this uh, statement that I was overqualified for everything I applied for. Very frustrating. I didn't understand this overqualification thing. Then it got to a point where I was so desperate for for some sort of income that I went to a landscape company to drive truck for $10 an hour just to have some sort of income coming in. And I got the same overqualified statement. And as I left there really, really just down and frustrated. I had a coupon for free diapers for my kid uh, that my wife had given me that morning. So on the way back to pick up some diapers, because we couldn't even afford those. And as I was driving away, the gas light comes on in my truck. I'd not driven very far on my truck before the gas light. So I hunted for a gas station. There just happened to be one right on the corner next to a grocery store that corresponded with that coupon. So I pulled up to a gas pump, I had just my debit card to make payment so I ran my debit card I said a quick prayer I got a decline for being having an overdrawn account so I rifled through my truck looking for some change found a few coins locked the doors and I started walking walking that parking lot looking for change What seemed like a couple of hours I found enough to exchange for 2 gallons of gas Now that was back in gas was about 89 cents a gallon and people still carry change you know it's a different world today yeah. so I got my gas. I went inside. I found those diapers that corresponded with the coupon. I stood in line with my one item. And then when it was my turn. I paid for it with that coupon. It had a feeling to it that I didn't like. And as I'm exiting this grocery store, I had my head down and not making eye, t- eye contact and trying to get out. And I heard my name called. That name that was called was from a friend of mine. He used to run the office at a place I used to run heavy equipment at digging swimming pools asked me how things were i barely grazed it well he said let's go to dinner i'm like i can't afford dinner I'm in between jobs he goes no i've got a gift certificate to red lobster i'll take you and your your wife yeah i mean i guess it was the next night if i recall correctly we went there and that's where he gave me the business card to our mortgage broker the branch manager there and said suggested i get in there so i cut a foot off of my hair i shaved my mom bought me some business like <laughs> clothes i went in there and i started as a telemarketer in december of 1997 one of the most miserable experiences of my existence was telemarketing this, this space, but I stayed with it and stayed with it and stayed with it. And as you put in there I'm now ranked number seven in the United States amongst over 1 million people that do the job I do. That's
0: incredible. So you go from being completely broke, paying for diapers with a coupon and putting a couple of gallons of gas in your car to now originating over 100 loans per month with your team. Uh, it's quite the journey. It's a very common story, if you will, where you have some sort of struggle that turns your perspective on life a little bit. Like you said, that feeling wasn't good. What was that feeling like that you had? You said it wasn't a good feeling, but... It was definitely, I wouldn't say shame,
1: but it's not far from it. Mm. Um, He just really, really felt less
0: at that point, like you were a failure. Compl- but it was because you were overqualified is what you were being told.
1: Yeah, I was overqualified for what I was doing, but you felt like a failure because you couldn't do anything. Um, and I heard it once said that from a guy who was doing, uh, who talked about his his journey in life and how he had done the job that I had done and he became very successful, owned his own company. And he had said that the reason a person becomes a loan originator is because you can't get a job doing anything else. <laughs> like, no kidding, I've lived that. I understand that because that was the life that I endured. Um, and then you know, the going from a telemarketer to trying to build up business, it was not easy. It was still just miserable. My first month in the business, I made 120 bucks, something like that. Mm. And then I got actually digging the job driving truck. Uh, finally, somebody offered me a me a job. He was just expanding his little business. He had a one truck operation, so he was extending to two. And I was driving freight from Sacramento to back every week and then going to the office for three days and then go to Vegas and back. So you worked two jobs. Well, it was it was one. Yeah, I was working two jobs trying to get this going. And that wasn't working. I hated. it. I left that. I finally got a job back in the heavy equipment world running, running a uh, uh, equipment digging swimming pools again. I get up at 3 a.m., be the yard by, be the uh, job site by four, be home by noon or one, be the office by two and work until 10 PM. I get about four hours of sleep every night for a year before the interest rates went below 7%. 6.99% kicked in in 1998. Mm And
0: I was able to actually start making an income that I could support my family on. It took me that long. Hmm. So interest rates had a, had a impact on that. Uh, it, allowing it you to get on to, it yeah. and really just gaining the knowledge getting the traction interest
1: rates is what got people's butt in the seat you yeah. got to get them to call in somehow right at the time yeah. i was working with this broker that he was the way we originated deals was he was advertising well if you didn't have anything that stood out as far as advertising was concerned we weren't going to get any calls so his advertising was what brought the calls in and then it was our job to close the deals and so because of that, and the interest rates for the first time in forever had gone below 7% for real estate, for, for real estate period, it sparked a lot of calls and that's, then you have to still sell the person. So I closed maybe five transactions a month, which was a month, which was enough to support my family. Um, now, you know, it, it doesn't, <laughs> five transactions won't support my family. You know, the margins are different these days. Yeah. So do you invest in real estate yourself? I'm sitting in an investment right now. So this cabin built in the 1800s um, sitting here. It's actually an office for my company. So we need a brick and mortar in the state of Missouri. I came out here and it has a whole big story to it, but bought this place, rehabbed it. They lease it from me and they finance it. So I'm paying them back with their own capital basically.
0: Do you you have a portfolio of uh, single family houses, which what you specialize in as far as loan origination? I have properties in six states. So Alabama, Arizona, uh, Missouri, Let's see here, Georgia, Arkansas. So I think this is uh, an important point that I don't want folks to miss that you invest in and subscribe to the product that you're also selling in terms of a loan originator. A lot of times your lenders will, they'll originate loans for you all day but they don't have any loans themselves or any investment properties. I mean, you really specialize in investment properties. So can well, you so talk to us about that for me a little to understand the real estate investor without getting in there and doing it myself. Yeah. Um, and
1: so, and I firmly believe, firmly believe, and I practice it, preach it, scream it, that the single family residence will be the most valuable single property, square, you know, I guess, uh, you know, bang for buck or square footage or pound for pound, however you want to put it, mm. of anything out there. Especially when we start looking at the direction that things are going with the hedge funds, like the State Street, the uh, vanguards, and the Black Rocks of the world, it is speculated they're they're intending to own sixty percent of the single family real estate in the United States by twenty thirty. Now, is that possible to have that much by that time? I don't know. I mean, it's never been done before, but is it possible? It's possible, especially with everything else they've been doing. So I'm on a I'm on this holy crusade to get people to buy single families. The only way to stop. The control that's being taken, people's ability to own homes, having it all owned by one and controlled by one source is to buy them yourself and hold them for long term. You know, and, and for for most investors, they're so wrapped up in, well, the cash on cash return is not there. I'm looking back over the last, you know, 13 years, the interest rates are so low. Now the rates are high. The rates are still low, comparatively speaking, to what the markets look like for the last 30, 40 years. The problem is we're looking at a window of time that was created by the federal government taking uh, created capital, dumping it into the mortgage-backed securities markets, as well as the uh, other bond pools, bringing the cost of that capital down, getting people spurred up and buying houses like crazy, pushing the pricing through the roof. Now that it's become scarce, and now nobody's going to sell their property that has a 2 or 3% loan on it, mm-hmm. they have now completely shrunk the uh, the the uh, inventory out there to the point that the prices are gonna stay high. And when the prices stay at that point, we've got a generation coming up that is not used to seeing real interest rates or a real market. They're not gonna buy. They're going to buy into the subscription-based economy that's being created, and they're gonna be subject to those who own it. So I tell investors, if you don't buy it now and own it now, you probably will not because it's gonna get taken. If you are not the one who's providing the subscription, you will be the subscriber. So, right now, with interest rates where they're at, they're they're really, really good comparatively speaking to the to a window of time that we had, you know, forever except for this short window that was created by the Fed. But I have speculation to believe that that was something to condition the next generation of people not to buy houses because they don't have this low interest rate. Now we also. When you think about this, and what I want investors to understand, it's not about the cash on cash return. That cash on cash return is great, you know, which would be, hey, I invested say fifty thousand in this property. I'm making say three hundred dollars a month cash flow, which is equal to thirty six hundred dollars a month in uh, cash flow for the year. So that equals out to somewhere in uh, not quite a ten percent cash on cash return. So they don't like it, right? So they want to get. 12, 14% cash on cash return. Well, if that's the case, you want to make $5,000, 6000 a year in cash flow on a house today, it doesn't happen. So we have to get their mind right into understanding what really is a good property today. So where in your world, what do you know, or what do people ask about
0: investing in real estate? Yeah, well, I think one of the, the biggest things that I'm wondering is exactly what you're talking about here, um, is the cash flow getting squeezed. So I personally started investing in 2019. That's when I met you. And uh, you also introduced me to Gary Pinkerton, uh, which has been absolutely amazing, by the way. Um, he, he is uh, incredible. So when I look at uh, the market today in the cash flow market, the historically linear markets you know maybe the midwest and the south which is where we kind of focus on um you're absolutely right the cash flow is is completely squeezed because prices having gone up so much over the last 2 3 years as we've seen you know largely artificially with all the money sloshing around and 40% of the currency being created uh in the last uh 2 or 3 years the rents have not kept up and rent to value ratios they're just they're worse than when I started and I'm having a hard time when I pencil it out and and everything is cash flow negative or maybe break even and these are in what we would call linear markets they're not like where I live on the west coast San Diego or LA or you know San Francisco or something like that this, this is like Memphis Tennessee You know, Birmingham, Alabama, or um, Dayton, Ohio. So I think one of the biggest questions that comes up is is this sustainable? If you look at it from a business standpoint, are we investing for appreciation in those particular markets, or do we need to be covered by the cash flow? In my experience, uh, the expenses are very real. It's a, it's a real business. That was one of the things you encouraged me and, uh, in early on was, Hey, run this like a family business, you know? And, and I was hoping you could talk to us a little bit like that. You said, Hey, Andrew, I'm like your CFO and we, you know, strategize together on does this business model work? And so that's a big question, uh, that's outstanding right now.
1: Well, let's get into some of the numbers on how we take a look at what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. Cause before the cash flows made a lot of sense. It was easy to make sense of cash flow. That's a simple, simple process. And so it made it a simple sale for the real estate world. So let's say, let's do some quick math. You got you got mm-hmm. your calculator there? Get that out because you're gonna do the calculations. Everybody's gonna check your math. I'm gonna check your math. It's gonna be simple calculations. I'll guide right. you but this is to help and this is not to check your math or the math of your listener It's so we can get everybody's brain to sync up with ours. So we can see right. what we're doing. cash on cash return or cash flow or cap rates. They're easy to figure that, Oh, this is a great deal based on that. But we need to look at things from a different angle now. Now cash flow is going to come eventually, but we have to get there. So let's say you're buying a $200,000 house mm-hmm. and you're going to put 20% down and you're going to have a 30 year fixed interest rate with an $1,800 a month in rent with only $100 a month cash flow when all things are said and done. Sound sound reasonable?
0: Yeah, so $1,800. Yep, $1,800, Among- $1,800 a month ca- in total rents with $100 a well, month cash flow. Out of- so the way we do a rent to value ratio, I mentioned that for those of you who don't know, uh, it's the rent divided by... The value or the purchase price, so eighteen hundred a month divided by two hundred. Oops, I need to do a divide sign here. Eighteen hundred divided by two hundred thousand. You're looking at a point nine percent rent to value ratio. So, uh, in reality, the the properties I've been looking at and I've been I've had the goal to add two more properties. Um, they're more uh, in the range of 0.82%. You know, and for a while in 2022, they were like 0. 0.75 in, you know, from like Mid-South home buyers, for example. Uh, 0.75 rent to value ratio in Memphis. But anyways, wh- where do you want to take this? So let's let's do some quick math with it. So if you've got a
1: Two hundred thousand dollar acquisition. You put twenty percent down. How much money is your down payment? It's forty thousand. Forty thousand. So that means your loan amount is how much? One hundred and sixty. One hundred sixty thousand. So let's say between lender fees, title fees, appraisal, inspection, taxes, insurance, points, all that stuff, you're going to look mm-hmm. at somewhere in the range of a ten thousand dollars in settlement charges when you're closing. So now you're investing how much total? Uh, Fifty thousand thousand invested with 160,000 in finance now the goal for the real estate investor is to keep it reasonably rented the entire time you own it and to be able mm-hmm. to raise rents. that's it also be able to buy in a place that has some sort of form of appreciation if you're able to keep it reasonably rented the entire time you own it who pays off the 160,000 that would be your tenant a tenant or a group of tenants so take that mm-hmm. 160,000 divide it by 30 and tell me how much you get
0: Okay, 160 divided by 30. Mm-hmm. It's about 5,000 a year, 5,333.
1: 5,333 dollars
0: and 34 cents per year Yeah, basically
1: getting, now it's averaged over 30 years, guys. We know also know there's an amortization table, you're not catching yep. me in something crazy here. Average over 30 years, so you divide that into your 50,000 and you figure out what percentage of 50,000
0: is $5,333.34. Okay, so I'm going to divide 533 divided by the invest. Yep, the the initial investment. Yep, 10.66%. 10. 10.66%
1: 10. Six, literally six, seven, just seven. by successfully keeping somebody in that property paying the mortgage for you. If mm-hmm. even all your cash flow did was to maintain the property, and just keep you from having to go to your pocket. If you're able to pull that off, you're literally gaining 10.6% on your money. Now, we'll shelf that. We know six points. How to how to get 10.6? Now, we uh, live in an inflationary environment. We see housing going up. The Case-Shiller Index, CoreLogic, Black Knight came out this month with what they see the average increase in housing prices are going to be for 2023. Do you know what they said?
0: Um, let's see. It was, it was either two and a half or 6%. I can't remember. I'm getting my numbers mixed up.
1: 8.9. 8.9. 8.9. When they averaged everything out. Now we know that's an average. There's other areas that are getting higher than others. Let's cut that down. Let's say two and a half. Let's say wherever you're buying, you're going to get two and a half. Let's go with what you were talking about. Two and a half percent. So what is two and a half percent of 200,000? Two and
0: a half percent of two hundred thousand would be five thousand. Five grand, which is what percentage of your fifty thousand invested? Same ten percent, right? Yep. So if you are
1: in an area that appreciates two and a half percent per year from your start point, you are literally increasing your initial investment of fifty thousand by another ten percent. You are sitting at twenty point six percent just by having somebody pay off the property and stay in it or group of people staying in it over periods of
0: time and in a property that appreciates. I, this is a really important point. So, and, and I get this question a lot, actually. Andrew, why don't you buy the houses for cash? Why, why are you borrowing all this money and you know going into all this debt? Um, oh, we're going and, there. Yeah, we're going there. I'll be there in a few minutes. <laughs> okay, okay, then continue.
1: Because everybody looks at his debt, they don't see it as the greatest asset in the deal. I'm already showing you twenty point six percent. So it's like mm-hmm. ah, getting a loan is it really going to be that better? Well, number one, you're paying off the loan, so them paying off the loan is going to give you that ten point six percent. If you didn't pay off the loan, you're only going to see you investing two hundred thousand dollars and getting a two and a half percent increase year over year. Which is better, a two and a half percent increase on your investment of two hundred thousand, or a twenty? 20- 0.6% increase on your investment of 50,000. That's why you leverage. Oh. It. That's one of the reasons you leverage it is mm-hmm. because of that. you can take that same 50,000 or same 200,000, deploy it in four different places and get 10 or excuse me, 20.6% on 200,000 versus two and a half percent. That's why, you know, if you yeah. want to, if you're completely risk averse, and I, I'm good with two and a half percent, well, let's get into why you don't want to do that. What is the that- reason?
0: In today that right there is the power of leverage and real estate is one of the best assets set up for leverage because it's a it's backed by a hard asset and lenders uh, love that you know they they will loan money on a hard asset um, all day really if everything's set up right and the only thing that I try to wrap my head around is that leverage amplifies both your gains and your losses, right? So the question is then where is the value of the dollar going? Is the value of the dollar going up, for example, in a recession or a depression, or is the value of the dollar going down via inflation? If the v- value of the dollar is going down, you want to borrow dollars now, pay them back later, right? And that's where the power of this uh, leverage is really coming in. So, and let's get deeper into that leverage power there. Because like you said, it does
1: accentuate losses and can make things harder because you still have an expense. But that's where you have to be discerning about where you're buying. a place you definitely want it to, uh, that's going to attract renters. So we live in that inflationary environment. Inflation being, uh, you know, they're claiming it to be somewhere right around the 4%. It's actually, you you can push in 12 to 13 if you look at the real rate. Mm -hmm. Fed's cooking that up if you're if you want to know more about that go to shadowstats.com as mm-hmm. in shadow statistics and click on the uh was it the Alternate data tab and scroll down to inflation. It'll tell you all about, it, right? Right. You calculate. So we, myself and uh, the professor of accounting at Kennesaw State University is a good friend of mine, a client. He reached out to me after hearing me on a podcast, theorizing about the time value of money. And he brought me out to speak to the accounting students. And then they built a tool for me to actually run the numbers. So when you run these numbers out, you can find that. What's interesting about the time value of money is the dollar is losing its buying power every single month. So you lock in your costs on this 30-year fixed loan for, the, for 30 years, right? Your, your principal interest payment is the same for 30 years. But the value of what you're by paying it back with is losing value quickly. So to illustrate this, 1920s and before, they used to mint a $20 gold piece, a one-ounce gold piece that was equal to $20. Now, it wasn't a pure ounce. They had to add a little copper in there. It was 0.98 or something like that percent uh, pure because they needed the durability. But at that time, you could walk into the department store, get a tailored suit, a shirt, a tie, a belt, a pair of socks, and a pair of shoes for this $20 gold piece. You can't even buy the socks for 20 bucks anymore. What's interesting is you can buy everything I just talked about with an ounce of gold. Why? Because an ounce of gold is worth over $1,800. Is it worth $1,800? No, it's worth what it will always is. suit has not gone up in value. The gold has not gone up in value. What we're exchanging for it in the form of the US dollar has gone to shit. That's why right? That it works that way. So as that continues to decline in value, whoever lent you the money, has have to accept that same dollar amount. So what we find, and I have the actual numbers here from the calculator that was given to me by this. Uh, uh, in fact, I can share screen. Yeah, share, share
0: the screen. Absolutely. So I didn't know if people are going to be able to even
1: see the screen, but I will do the share screen here. I figured you would. Uh, you have to give me share screen capability, make me co-host here. So oh. I probably were, had the share screen capability because you wouldn't put all that stuff up in the background for nothing. Let's see. There we go. I got gotcha. you. Okay, perfect. Okay, so here's what this looks like. So we've got a $200,000 acquisition once it loads. Um, so we're showing. Yep, I can the- see it. Cool. I'm going to go ahead and zoom in here a little bit more. We're showing a purchase price of two hundred thousand on this uh, this example, just like we've been talking about. And then a hundred sixty thousand dollar loan amount. Because of the zoom in here, it doesn't let me go to that side. I don't understand why. Uh, let me see if I can make this line up better. Grab
0: the scroll bar. Yeah, there you
1: go. I can't get it to line up better. It just won't. All right. So two hundred thousand purchase price, 160000 sixty thousand dollar loan amount. Here is your. Your total payment, $1,132.47 for 360 months. After 360 months, you will pay $407,689.20. This is where the average person says, why would I pay $407,000 for $160,000?
0: Exactly. You're going
1: to pay a principal of $160,000. you are going to pay an interest of $247,689.20. Nobody wants to do that, but What you're not doing is you're not recalculating the value of those dollars as you're giving it back to them over the 360 months. When you recalculate the value of those dollars every single month for 360 months, you will find that as it leaves your hands, the total value of all of those over 30 years is $154,336.97, which is less than what you borrowed. It is one of the most powerful tools there is. So that's why the banking industry will encourage you to refinance every three to four years or when rates go down to a certain point, because they don't want you holding out for 30 years. See what happens to them. They want you to hold out just for those first four or five years.
0: Have you seen okay. what,
1: a, what an amortization table looks like on a 30-year fixed loan? Right. First five yeah. years as
0: well. Mostly interest.
1: Mostly interest. So if they're only collecting interest from you and then you refinance, you do it again, refinance, do it again, what do you get? You pay the hell out of them in interest. Yeah.
0: So that leads me to believe that over the long run, then the lenders are actually losing money or losing value, if you will, not in nominal dollars, but in purchasing power. If people don't refinance as often as they do, they, they
1: right now do a lot. Okay. So because they do, and they've been conditioned to do that, they continue to make money. There is the few that don't. People that work with me, clients of mine, so you ride that out for the entire 30 years unless you're refinancing it to pull cash out and buy another property and expand your empire. Right, that makes That's sense. So, about that. so to- look at how you're winning. You're not yeah. even paying back what you borrowed as you continue to increase, right? So let's say this $1,800 a month in rent that you're paying is... Only going up, I think average rents are going up like five, six percent in the United States. Let's say you're only raising it by three. What's three yeah. percent of eighteen bucks?
0: Let's see, ten percent is 180, so somewhere around sixty dollars or so. 54 Fifty four 50, bucks. Fifty-four.
1: Yeah. 54 bucks. Does a tenant move out of a house for $54 increase? No, not when apartments no. are going up by two and three hundred. Right. That's happening all over the place. So fifty-four bucks. So, but you're getting a hundred dollars a month cash flow, and it's gone up by fifty-four dollars. What percentage did it go up by? Uh if a lot, fifty-four like percent. Yeah, went up by fifty-four yeah. percent. You're getting a compound increase. Yeah, and raising it three, you're getting
0: fifty-four percent increase in your cash flow. What's, now, in my experience, I've seen the a drop in cash flow. Sorry about that. The so. I've seen the expenses going up too, taxes, insurance, all those things. Correct. That's why. Yes. And
1: even if you're only on pace to maintain the 100, even if it drops down to flat, remember, even though it drops down to flat and you're just breaking even on this, that never a dollar leaves your hands. Look at where you're at. Right. You're still making that 20.6 percent. And that's with a two and a half percent appreciation. We're seeing eight percent out there. What if you're getting four
0: percent appreciation? Yeah.
1: Right. Look at what that does for you. Consider what's really happening out there. If you're Too using
0: often. five to one leverage, you can multiply those gains by five. And you know, just taking a step back, in this inflationary environment, you want to be understanding, okay, do I think the value of the dollar is gonna go up or gonna go down? If you think the value of the dollar is going down in the future, uh, you would want to, in a sense, short the dollar. So borrowing money, to buy an asset like real estate is, in a sense, shorting the dollar. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean you you're, so, you're basically
1: projecting that what you're going to be paying on this is going to be less in 30 years, right? And that's where the power of the game so, with is, is is dropping in value.
0: Now, I think we would all agree that this inflation is actually not a good thing. If you take a, a step back and look at why are we having inflation? What are the global elites doing? What are the people in power uh, you know, doing and creating this inflation? What, what's their, their agenda behind that? Uh, it's not a good thing, and you can look at uh, you know, the, even the creation of the Fed and what the purpose really was uh, behind the scenes with the creature from Jekyll Island and things like that. Um, but we're all stuck in this game. And so we need to play the game uh, by the rules that are being forced upon us, right? So if we're being forced into 8%, 10 12 15% uh, inflation, then we need to play the game and we need to play it smart. And this is what Aaron can help you do. As you can see, uh, he is very good with these numbers and can help us understand better why do we play this game? It seems scary to borrow that much money to a lot of people I talk to. Apparently, I'm supposed to be scared of it, too. But Aaron just showed you why it gives you such an edge. Aaron, I wanted to ask you about, you talk about the subscription economy, and you 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 mentioned a, a report recently on your channel. By the way, if you want to hear more of Aaron, he's got a great uh, YouTube channel. We'll talk about that at the end, but... The loan applications volume has dropped below the, the lowest level since 1996. Uh, so people are fearful, I guess. What do you make of that? So
1: one, it's the interest rates because they've been conditioned. If I want to get into, let's get into some rabbit holes here. Mm-hmm. Let's think back on how we ended up where we're at today. Um, you get back into the crash of 1997. Uh, excuse me 2008 because 1997 is when i got in the industry 2008 when the crash happened you had um a lot of interesting loans out there and people just got greedy now i can't say that that was orchestrated i i don't know if it was but like they say don't ever let a a tragedy go go wasted uh, 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 so you can kind of put that to work the way that they do that in the political arena so we had this global tragedy and then you had two people that were pulling the strings there. You have Ben Bernanke, who was the chairman of the Fed. And you had Hank Paulson, who was the secretary of the Treasury. What were their backgrounds? Hank Paulson worked for Wall Street. He came from like the Lehman Brothers. Solomon, I I think that's who it was. I think he worked for Lehman Brothers, if I remember correctly. And you've got um, Ben Bernanke, who came from the education world. So Bernanke, albeit a very intelligent man, his background was education in theory. Now, if you ever talk to a to a tenured professor, brilliant people, but a lot of them, you know, I have one who's a very close friend. He's a extremely tenured professor at a university, and he is the professor of uh, electrical engineering. I took over to him a little tools that had an electrical thing. He Say, hey, let's do this, this, this. He goes, dude, hey, I'm the last guy to talk to. It's like, what do you mean? He goes, I can flip <laughs> on a light switch. It's like, well, I thought you were a professor of electrical engineering. He goes, I understand theory. I'm like what is theory i don't understand where theory comes into it either freaking the either you flip the switch and it works or it don't right you got diodes you got resistors you got all these things they either work or they don't um but that's where they come from so majority of your people from the education space theorize about a lot of things so you have theory coming into work with the wall street mindset and they collaborated decided hmm let's go ahead. And I don't know if it was them that decided, but it could have been the people behind them kind of saying, let's go ahead and take this and run with it. We can start doing what they call quantitative easing. So it was uh, November 25th of 2008, they announced quantitative easing, which was they're going to take money from the treasury and inject into the markets to bring the rates down and spur the economy. Well, rates are driven by the supply and demand of money. If you've not seen the movie, The Big Short, you need to there, mm-hmm. if the supply is. If there's more. If there's more there to to acquire, then the cost is is low. If the if the supply shrinks, which we noticed with COVID supply chain issues, the cost goes way up. You can push up inflation. So what they were doing was bringing down the cost of money by injecting it uh, so much into it. By doing that, they also devalued the currency itself because there's so damn much of it. So they brought those interest rates to an enormously low level, and then they shut it off. In uh, I think it was October 2021, when they shut that off, the interest rates spiked, and they went from two, uh, somewhere in the range of two percent for the average homeowner, or two and a quarter percent, to now seven point four to seven point five percent. Look at that.
0: We're talking th- nearly what was that nearly four times? It's over three and times. Plus the prices, especially of housing, had skyrocketed as well. Fifty percent increases in some places. Exactly. And there's still demand for it because now you don't have as many going on the
1: market because people have these low interest rates. Because guys, a low interest rate is extremely valuable asset, Mm -hmm. uh, 30-year fixed instrument that has the money you're paying it back by losing 12% of its value. right? So when you start looking at all of this, the inventory is shrinking significantly. But then you're also talking about the cost of living is skyrocketing. You have this massive inflation. People are can't, are having a difficult time paying their bills. So when it does come to a point, let's just say that our generation goes and the next generation takes over, what are they going to do with those houses? They're probably going to sell them for the profits, distribute that so they can live for that very short window of time. That's going to help them live, and it's going to go to and it's going to continue to go where it's going now. They're going into the hands of the hedge funds. They're going to now control the real estate. Do you see a wave of inventory coming at that point? Uh, it, it, potentially, unless we unless we change the minds of the people and say, hang on to it, okay. rent it out. I mean, right now, I'm, the real estate that I'm buying is for it's because I know my children and my grandchildren are not going to be able to. So mm. I, I buy in places they're going to live with the family trust, and then they rent back from the
0: family trust, and we buy it in a way that they can afford to live in it, but at the same time, the trust will still profit from it. I think it was Warren Buffett that said, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. Do you see us in a uh, a fearful state right now or a greedy state? Well, we're definitely in a
1: fearful state because people are not putting money, they're not, they're not investing. They're 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 waiting, they're waiting for the price to drop because the interest rates went up. Unfortunately, don't realize that the interest rates were where they were in nineteen ninety-six. Mm-hmm. This is where they were. So our levels of interest in people buying are very, very similar to where the interest rates were at the same time. So people doing applications, buying homes is the same as it was in 1996. We also have a very, very low inventory power like what we had in 96. You also have interest rates that are very similar to that same point. We're repeating history here with this. So what I'm telling people is if everybody's sitting on the sidelines, you need to charge in. You need to charge in with the information we just gave you. How do you analyze it? You got to look at it. Can you keep it reasonably rented? Is there a demand for that particular area? What's going to be your heavily cost Buy a turnkey buy something that you can get a bur strategy type deal where you go going to do the rehab, make sure it's done right. If you're going to do a bird, if you're going to do that type of deal where you pay cash, are you going to use a hard money loan to get that property to f- fix it up? Call me first. Do not close on that cash purchase or that hard money purchase until we talk. There's a way to prevent your money from getting locked up for six months to a year. There's a way to engineer it to make sure you're successful in the refinance and get all your money back out of it and then do it again and do it again. And if you're able to pull that off, you successfully can achieve a burr where you buy it, rehab it, refinance and get all your money back out. You now own that for nothing. It costs you nothing. Every single cent you make, whether it's appreciation, whether it is the uh, the amortization of the loan or cash flow, is an infinite return. If you pull that off, you even if you leave ten grand in the deal, who gives a shit? Tenth grand, you control a two hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollar asset that's appreciating like it is, and you only have ten thousand in the deal. Calculate those returns with the numbers I just gave you and the math that I just worked out. Go backwards in this thing and figure out. I'm not going to do it for you. If you want more details, you call me. Set this up. I can't give it all on this show. I can't sit here and blind yep. it all. Because two things: one, we don't have enough time. Other thing is it is so tailored to each individual and your scenario that it can change and you're going to screw it up. I can give you the full list. You don't know (laughs) the, the potential risks because of your scenario and how it applies. I have had people insist on having the entire list. I gave them the list and they were, I told them on that list in big, big, bold red letters, do not close until you call me first. What did I get? I get an email with the settlement statement from when they closed. I'm like, this is wrong. Your money is now going to get locked up for six months. You go, I did exactly what you said. No, you didn't. Because the biggest thing on there is you call me before you closed and you didn't do that. So all I gave you was the general, was everything I could give you, but how it fits you is different. It changes from person to person. Your scenario is different. You need experience. There's a soul saying, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. Do not use that way to learn in real estate. It's detrimental. We've been doing this since 1997. I got people in my staff Been doing this since the 70s. We've worked with thousands of clients. We have seen where many have failed, where many have succeeded. Your scenario applies to one of them at least. And I can give you a story on how to adapt what you're doing to be successful in the deal. If you don't call me, you've now put yourself at risk because you're going off the experience that you have. Not that we have, which is thousands of
0: transactions for a lot of years. Yeah. And- Aaron, you are an educator first and foremost. You know when I first called you, that's exactly what you were doing. You were saying, hey, here's what you need to look out for. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to look at it. Um, extremely valuable. Before I let you go, I want to just make this tangible for people. Can you just run us through really quick the requirements and, and steps? Uh, what, what is needed to get a loan today? You know, for your average Joe and Jane, uh, what, what do we need?
1: Well, it's very, very simple. There's so many types of loans out there, guys, kind of like it was in the late nineties that we could probably find something for damn near everybody. As long as your credit score is there, you got to have a decent credit score. You got to have something that shows people that you, know, you will pay them back. Uh, the easiest way to go about it is go to my website, AaronChapman.com. Click on the apply now button. You'll create a username and password, fill out the data. You don't know what house you're going to buy right now. So put TBD in the street address. Pick a city and state that's in the dropdown and go through the process. Does that cost folks anything if they want to just see, hey, what? Co- cost nothing. Cost nothing for us to do that. Have you ever heard of the term underwriter?
0: Yes, absolutely. Okay,
1: underwriter is usually talked about by most lenders when you do a week before closing and they need all this paperwork because of this asshole underwriter. I hired the underwriter to do the prequel. We look at your tax returns, your pay stubs, your W-2s, your K-1s, your bank statements, your uh, your credit data, everything that you would need to have to pass underwriting in three weeks, we do it in 72 hours. That way you can be reasonably confident you're going to get this deal done. We invest the money up front in you so you feel confident to invest in us. The other thing that I want you to do is go to your app store right now. You know, there it's, uh, it doesn't matter if it's an Android or if it's a, uh, an iPhone and go find the QJO investment tool. It stands for the quit jerking off investment tool. Mm-hmm. So I named it that is because when you're worried about rates, that's all you're doing. Because I am, it has a calculator in there where you can calculate the time value of money. I have Bree sending Andrew the email that I send out to everybody that gives you the videos on how to use that calculator to make you successful as a real estate investor. This is my app. This is basically taking that tool that I showed you from the professor and have showed you how to calculate the same thing, but in a simple form. The other thing I want you guys to wrap your head around, I'm going to put this uh, share screen up on this one, because it's an absolute necessity that everybody understand this. If you don't understand that you are putting yourself at significant risk, people are sitting here wondering, uh, well, maybe I'll just wait till the rates go down or I'll do a five-year arm or seven-year arm or 10-year arm and I'll refire and the rates go down. Guys, the rates aren't going down they're not going to go down. If anybody says you were going to get back into the fives or fours or threes, they're lying to you because they want you to close on a five-year loan so they can refinance you later. You're being forced into refinancing. Do not get caught up in that. Do that 30-year fixed. Warren Buffett himself said the 30-year fixed is the greatest financial instrument in history because it's a one-way bet. If you're wrong, you just refi because the rates went down. But if you're right, you've protected yourself from potential financial devastation. I know a lot of people that got 10-year notes with 20-year amortizations because they kept telling the rates are going to stay in the fives. They are screaming that they took that stupid deal. I told them not to. I stood on stage and I bitched and screamed and they still did it. Mm-hmm. So They're right now lamenting the fact that they did this to themselves because those notes are coming due in the next couple of years and they're going to be subject to an 8%, 9% rate when they could have had 36 with me. So just don't get caught up in this. This shows you the mortgage-backed securities pools. This right here, this channel, I drew because we're going downward. As it goes down, it means money is leaving the pool. Therefore, the rate is going up. We are continue- continuing to continue into that point, I believe, until we get below this. Now, if you look here, this is very, very interesting. I'm showing you this chart. This shows us today. This goes all the way back pre-crash. This is May of 2008. This date right here in November 2008 is the date they announced quantitative easing. I talked about before, Hank Paulson and... Um, Ben Bernanke said we're going to start throwing money at the market look what happened all this liquidity came in all this capital here interest rates were low in the five, in the 3s here the 2s here and then in October 2021 bam the bottom fell out of it That's cuz money stopped going into it now You're, just for for right now, just look really at the quick the yeah. levels we were in 2008 we're at the same levels pre 2008 that's where
0: we're at so for, for folks, if, if this is your first time looking at this chart, just for a point of reference, if the line goes up on the chart, the rates go down. If the line goes down on the chart, the rates go up. So the, the um, lending in the real estate market is based on mortgage-backed security. So there's somebody on the other side of that transaction giving you money to buy that house. And the more expensive that money is, the cheaper the price uh, of the, the value of the bond. So uh, it's in, inversely proportional. hundred percent. Because what this shows is every day you're showing a trade. They
1: started here, ended here on a green day, meaning money went into it. On a red day, mm-hmm. they start at the higher point and went to the lower point because money left it. You know, as money goes in and goes out, the price of that
0: money gets dictated in the interest rate. Yeah. And so just to be clear, then that channel trending down means that interest rates are trending up. You know, and uh, we talked about Warren Buffett, you know, his, his partner, Charlie Munger. Mm hmm. He was in an
1: interview recently on CNBC or MSNBC. I can't remember which one. I believe it was either Christy Quick or Aaron Burnett that interviewed him. And Charlie said, we had 40 years of declining interest rates. We are set to see 40 years of increasing interest rates. I had the link to that interview. I click on it. Now it says it's private. I can't get it. Oh, no. Every single version of that, I spent six to eight hours searching for every version of that interview. It's been taken out. That statement's been redacted. If you go to the, I've looked up the, um, the transcripts. That statement's redacted. Why? They don't want you to know that rates are going up for 40 freaking years because that means you would buy now and prevent them from buying. Nice. Mm-hmm. I'm serious about this. I spend a lot of time staring at this crap. I'm not bullshitting you. I'm not jerking <laughs> off. You to do something you shouldn't do. Protect yourself. The only way to stop the takeover of our assets and our real estate and the future of our families is to buy it ourselves, period.
0: Yep. Do the thing. Don't sit on the sidelines. The Power of Now. I did an episode recently on that. Uh, listen, before I let you go, tell us about your partnership with uh, Operation Underground Railroad and your upcoming event in Tennessee. So we, um, I became friends with Tim Ballard uh, years ago. Um, I saw one of his
1: uh, his uh, documentary about him on Amazon Prime called Operation Toussaint. And something about that said, I need to meet this man. So I went ahead and went about trying to trying to meet this individual, but I did it in a way of contributing back. So we're giving a certain portion of every transaction we close, plus encouraging our, our team or our clients to donate every time they close and our referral partners and other other businesses. And we raised probably a little over half a million dollars over a few years and I got their attention. I ended up seeing the, the movie, The Sound of Freedom, three years ago in a private viewing, twice, once with the director. I'm very close friends with the director, Alejandro Monteverdi, now. I bought a watch from him. I'm not wearing it now, but it was in the movie, worn by the guy named Paul in the movie, which is Eduardo. Oh, that's super cool. So, And what's really cool about it, we didn't know when I bought that watch from him if it's going to go up in value. It's an expensive watch as it was. But now that the movie has so much success, and Eduardo, who is the, the uh, person wearing it, who played Paul – he is, There's speculation he'll be the next one, uh, be the president of Mexico at some point. If he hits that, now I've got another family, family asset that is going to continue to compound in value. So, just some really cool things. We've raised a lot of money. I've been in on a lot of operational uh, breakdowns and things like that, and spending a lot of time with the operators and see what this is. the The information you see out there is not bullshit. The the, the movie is not wrong. There is some embellishment, but. The, um, the operations really happened. These things are truly happening around us. If we're not aware of it, we're not bringing people to awareness of it and calling people out. Right now, Tim's under a lot of fire, because he stood on Capitol Hill, and called out our administration for being complicit in trafficking, period. And he's telling them to stop, and he's calling them out. And they're, they're going after him, they're going after him hard, don't believe the stuff you're reading. People are going to twist whatever they have to. He is not one to stand down against anything. And it's funny how everybody wants to get into his face now. There's so much success with the movie and he's calling out the people that are. I'll just stick with the word complicit in what's going on out there. Wow. So uh so come to memphis guys yeah. come to memphis yep. we are selling tickets 250 a head you're going to you don't have to buy in memphis but you get to tap into some of the best minds including gary and we're also going to have matt osborne the head of global oper- global operations for operation underground railroad who has 12 years with the cia to talk to everybody that's there every single dollar that is spent there or invested there if you will from the uh, perspective of tickets and what we don't what we as sponsors put in goes to our a fully, uh, fully um, attended event will equate basically us creating, uh, funding a whole nother operation
0: for them to go in and rescue children. That is so cool. All the proceeds are going to Operation Underground Railroad from this event in Memphis, Tennessee. You're going to be talking real estate. You're going to be doing property tours. You're going to be learning how to do what Aaron is talking about doing today. Aaron, is there anything that I missed that you want to share with our listeners? Any last um, pieces of advice or anything? Guys, people think that they can time the market.
1: It's impossible to time the market unless you're the one manipulating it. The bottom line here is I look at the market a lot like being a star football player. If you're sitting on the bench waiting for the perfect time to jump on the field to get on the highlight reel. You're going to look like a fool because the guy just jumped in the middle of the thing is going to be called out for being a fool. The only people on the highlight reel is the person in the game at the time the perfect play happens. What you have to do is you've got to set your baselines just like one of those football players. You got to know what your actions are. You need to know where you're supposed to go. And if you do it every single time with precision, sometimes the hole opens up. Sometimes the opportunity lays itself right before you because of the time in the market and you go straight in for a 60-yard touchdown. It happens, but you gotta be on the field. You gotta be doing and you gotta be disciplined in what you do. Do it. Stop sitting around. Jump up and start making some actions. And sometimes that action is a simple phone call or a simple text. Text me, 602 602- Two nine one three three five seven. That's my personal freaking cell phone. I'm giving you guys my personal cell phone to text me, so I can have Bree set up a call for us, so we can get
0: you started. If you're sitting on your ass right now, you cannot win a game. You're not playing, Aaron. How powerful! He just gave you his personal cell phone number, folks. This is amazing. What a great time today, Aaron. I am so blessed and humbled that you took the time to. Uh, Share with our listeners what you do, what you're able to provide and what value that can provide for them. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank
1: you, buddy. I appreciate you. It's good to see you, man.
0: Yeah, take care. All right, you too, man. Wow, I love the energy that Aaron brings to this topic. You, as you can tell, he's very passionate about helping people to win this game. The thing is that the global elites and the people who pull the strings on the monetary system will continue to pull them and pull them harder and harder. History will repeat itself unless we stand up and we say no. We play the game to win. You need to think about this. I need to think about this and figure out what it is the Lord would have us to do to be good stewards of what God has given us. Let's be savvy. Let's be shrewd Remember, Jesus said the sons of this world are more shrewd than the sons of the kingdom, and it ought not to be that way. We ought to be doing well with the finances that he has given us. And if you think, well, I'll just wait on the sidelines a little longer, remember, you marry the house, but you date the interest rate. Aaron mentioned it. If you are afraid of the high interest rates right now, You need to realize that you can always renegotiate the deal. If you're thinking about buying real estate and concerned that interest rates might go down in the future and you're waiting for that, don't wait because you can renegotiate the deal. You can go back to the lender and you can refinance if interest rates go down. But if interest rates go up, then you're going to look back and you're going to say, wow, I got a pretty good interest rate compared to what they are today. And if they go down, renegotiate. The other thing is that the cash flow problem, this is a real problem right now. Prices are high and the interest rates have gone up. And so you're not looking at a large amount of cash flow. You might be barely just break even on a property that you buy, even in those historically- cash flow proven markets. I've heard it once said, put to me as deferred down payment. If you think about if you bring a hundred percent down payment and you have a good property that's reasonably rented, then you're going to be positive cash flow because you put all your money in hundred percent down payment. That means you bought the house for cash and you're going to have positive cash flow. But if you start to leverage, if you do 50% down or 30% or 25% or even 20% down on a investment property, you will see that your cash flow then gets squeezed out right now. And we're now at a barely a break even amount, right around 0.75 to 0.8% RTV is where you generally think of a break-even point in terms of cash flow. But Aaron just pointed out to us how there is a lot more to the investment game when you're using leverage than just the cash flow. You have somebody else paying off the loan for you. You are outsourcing one of your biggest expenses. And it was very interesting how he pointed out that the main portion of the money that the lenders make is in that first seven years or so they are banking on you refinancing or selling that property in the first few years and that is a very common thing the average time to hold a 30-year mortgage is actually very low but if you stretch it out and you stick it out over the course of 30 years you see that the value of that loan being paid off is tremendous. And if you build a certain amount of equity in your property, it probably makes sense to think about leveraging that again and going to and obtaining two properties instead of one because now you are maximizing the investment real estate that you control. If you only sit on the one property, eventually you hold it for cash or you own it outright, that's fine. But now you're not taking advantage of all the things that Aaron just described to us. So again, check out what Aaron has going with the Operation Underground Railroad and AaronChapman.com. He is a huge benefit and asset to uh, this space. A huge thanks to him. He gave you his personal cell phone number. Call Aaron. He's an awesome guy. He's helped me through the loans that I've made. And he helps you to run your real estate investing endeavors as a business. You look at it that way and you will win the game. You need to be strategic, as he said. Don't just run out onto the field in the middle of the game. Be strategic. Be prepared reach out to Aaron, reach out to me. Let us know if you have any questions or how this episode brought you value. Go ahead and leave the show a review. Go ahead and like it in your favorite uh, podcatcher, wherever you get your podcasts, or watch on the video Aaron shared his screen a few times. We have the YouTube channel is where you can see that. I hope you found it super helpful. Until next week, now that you know more, go out and grow more. All content on the whole steward is for informational purposes only and must not be considered personal, professional, tax, or legal advice. Please consult an appropriate professional for individualized advice. Though we do our best to bring you reliable information, we make no guarantee on its accuracy, so you must rely on your own due diligence to draw your own conclusions. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own and may not represent that of the host. Please visit our website for complete terms and conditions. Thanks for joining us today for The Holistic Approach to Wealth from a Christian Worldview. This show is brought to you by thewholesteward.com.